So this morning, we're going to be in uh, Luke 23. So hear the word of the Lord. And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers mocked at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription above him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Lord, you are so kind and so generous to us. Lord, nothing happens that's ever a surprise to you in our world, in our country, um, in our lives. So just would you focus our eyes on what you've done for us. Uh, help us to move forward, um, appreciating you, loving you, and just reaching out to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dale. Take that out. You got it? Good. All right. Good morning. Everybody doing well? Great. A few of you are. That's fantastic. Uh, it's going to be a great morning together. I'm excited. Uh, just by way of introduction, because there are so many new faces in the room, my name is Jonas Larkin, and I'm the campus pastor here at Valley Creek, our South Wilson campus. I need to clear up some confusion in the room. Uh, I, I understand some people walked in asking for John. Uh, that is my, the name from my youth. Um, they, I am the same person. Jonas, John, same person. Avoid any confusion. Uh, but anyways, I, I would love to meet you if you're new this morning. Uh, if you're visiting, family member, would love to, to get to know you uh, a little bit after the service is over. Uh, I know that a lot of you, uh, hopefully all of you, but some of you specifically, the reason you're here is to celebrate these baptisms, and we're so grateful, so glad that you're here. And uh, I have been reminded that this water is not getting any warmer, so I'm going I'm to try to get us there quickly. Uh, so we're going to see if the Lord is still performing miracles. All right? Here we go. Uh, just to catch up, here's, I know we've got new faces in the room, so let me kind of put us all in the same starting place. Uh, we have been in a series here called Surrounding the Cross. This is our, our fourth week. We spent the last three weeks kind of going through these uh, events that lead up to uh, Jesus' uh, arrest, his, his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion. Ultimately, next week, we will... Uh, get to the resurrection, but uh, we've kind of been getting there through uh, looking at some individual stories uh, of, of people whose, whose, whose lives are kind of intertwined in these events that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so just to recap, right, we've talked about uh, Judas. We started week one, we looked at Judas. He kind of set the things in motion, right, when he betrayed Jesus. Uh, uh, the point of week one was Judas... Uh, and it, it wasn't just a moment of temptation. He had a, a life where he'd just given himself over to temptation. And through that, uh, Satan seized that opportunity uh, to, man, to derail everything, right? To derail Judas, uh, to set these, these events in motion that would lead to Jesus' crucifixion, 
uh, ultimately his resurrection. So week one was Judas. Uh, week two, we looked at Peter. Uh, and Peter's story is one where uh, Peter did deny Jesus, so not unlike Judas in that capacity. But uh, we also see Peter's repentance and his restoration. Uh, Peter goes on to be commissioned to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, uh, to, to spread and, and build the church. And then last week we looked at Pilate. Uh, Pilate was the, uh, the Roman governor over Judea who was ultimately responsible for sentencing Jesus to death. Uh, Pilate's story was he, he gave in to uh, cowardice, compromise, uh, self-interest, uh, whatever benefited him, whatever was comfortable for him, convenient for him, uh, submitted to the court of public opinion and ultimately sentenced an innocent Jesus to death by crucifixion. So that is where we've been, which brings us to the text that, that Dale just read in Luke 23. Uh, and so here's where we find ourselves. Let me set the scene a little bit if I can. Uh, to, to catch us up. Right? So Pilate has sentenced Jesus to be crucified. Right? And from there, uh, Jesus would have been beaten. Uh, he would have been mocked. Uh, he had the, the, the crown of thorns placed on his head, and he's uh, driven out from that place. Uh, and, and he, along with the help of a man named Simon uh, of Cyrene, carry the cross to Golgotha, or the, the place of the skull, uh, where he would ultimately be crucified between two criminals. In fact, we're going to look at the two criminals this morning a little bit, one of them a lot more than the other. But one of the things that sort of popped off the page to me this week as I'm, I'm reading and I'm studying is just that uh, in the final moments of Jesus' life, like the final hours of his life prior to his, his death on the cross, he, he was still doing the very thing that he said he had come to do. Right, you, you back up in, earlier in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 5, and there's... Uh, Jesus is uh, in the, the house, in the home of some sinners and tax collectors and some, some religious leaders show up. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing associating with these type of people? And Jesus says, man, this is who I came for. Right? The, the people who are well have no need of a physician. It's, it's the sick who need the physician. And so Jesus says that he, did not, uh, he, he came to call sinners to repentance. Right? He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so, uh, how fitting is it that in the, the last hours of Jesus' life, as he's gasping for breath, uh, being, being murdered in the most painful and humiliating way possible, he's still doing the very thing he said he'd come to do. Right? He's surrounded by sinners. Right? And so, if I could just press here for just a little bit because I don't know everybody in the room even when a, a typical Sunday when it's familiar faces I don't know your stories I don't know all that's going on sort of in the the, the recesses of your heart so here's what I want to do this morning maybe you're here and there's just like you, you just kind of feel weird being here and what I mean by that is you you know your story right you know your past you know uh your sin, you know your history, you know the shame that comes with that, you know the guilt that comes with that. Maybe it's not even your past, but maybe it's like your present, like right now. You just feel like a little uncomfortable being here. And if that's you, I just want to alleviate some of that tension and just remind you that Jesus is a friend of sinners. There is no better place you could be this morning. 
than here. Right? I'm grateful you're here. No matter what your story is, your, your, your past, your history, your present, you are here. And I, I would submit to you it's not by accident that you are here. Right? And, and one of the things that, that I want for this church, um, let me let the cat out of the bag. We are not a perfect church. Uh, if you've been here for any time, you know that. I, I don't like to make guarantees. All right, but I guarantee you, you hang around here long enough, like we're going to let you down at some point. Right? We, just, we just are. But my hope is that we would be a church that is a safe place for sinners. Amen. Because that's who Jesus came for. And if we're going to be a church about the same things that Jesus was about, then this is a place where we want sinners to feel welcome. Not because we condone sin, not because we affirm sin, but because we believe the good news of Jesus meets us while we are yet sinners. Right? And, and that's, like, he meets us where we are, and then he takes us to where we ought to be. And it's usually a slow, miserable, painful process, but, man, he'll get us there. And so all that to say, if you're here this morning, and you're sinful, you're broken, you're hurting, I would just say, praise God you're here. I'm thrilled that you're here. All right, this is a safe place for you because Jesus is a friend of sinners. All right? All that was the introduction. Let's go. Two criminals. Now we got two criminals. One crucified on Jesus' left. This is confusing when I'm turned the opposite way that you are. All right, one to his left, one to his right. Okay, and uh, one of the things that we see really quickly is there's two very different responses to who Jesus is. From these two criminals. All right, the first one, look at verse 39. It says, get to the right page. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. All right, so, what you get from the first criminal, just to get there quickly, is it's one of conformity. All right, earlier we read, Dale read for us the uh, sort of the crowds that were there and the, the soldiers that were there and they're mocking Jesus, right? Hurling insults at him. And what you get from the first criminal is, is he just conforms to the message of the crowd. Right? Crucify him. Right? You're no king. If you're the Christ, you'd save yourself. Let him get down from the cross. Right? That's where the first criminal jumps in. Right? He's, he rails at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's hurling insults, mocking, reviling Jesus. And what I want, want to do here this morning, just before we get kind of too high and mighty on ourselves, is I think sometimes we're guilty of looking at that and thinking, like, how could he do that? Right? What was he, what was he thinking? This is Jesus, man. I know we get the benefit of, of seeing the whole story, but, but I would, again, submit to you that before we think uh, more highly of ourselves than we ought, um, man, Apart from the work of the Spirit, that's where you and I would be. Right? Apart from the Spirit of God, like breaking in and bringing transformation, like you and I would be, we would be there. We would be reviling. We would be mocking. We would be rejecting. Right? Apart from the work of the Spirit of God, that's the default posture of the human heart. Right? We're, we're not, we're not like, inherently good people we're broken people we're sinful people and so the default 
posture of our heart would be the same as this criminal, to, to, to revile, to hurl insults, to mock. All right, that's, in fact, that's the case of the other criminal, at least at first. Right, we, we get these two criminals here, and er, not in Luke's gospel, but earlier, right, Matthew, Mark, they give the same account. And all that they say were that these two criminals, both criminals, were mocking and reviling Jesus. Right, if you go back and look at Matthew, Mark, they're, they're not going to say anything other than both criminals are guilty of mocking and reviling Jesus. But what Luke gives us is an insight into something else that happens. Right, somewhere along the way, the second criminal, right, the, the, the Spirit of God, like shows up and begins to transform a a hardened heart that, that moments ago was just reviling Jesus, and all of a sudden something changes, something happens. Conviction, look at verse 40. It says, But the other, that's the other criminal, the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Right, so the, the first criminal, his response was to conform to the crowd. Mocking, reviling, insults, ultimately rejection. Right, but the second criminal, again, just moments ago, reviling Jesus, along with the, the first criminal, here he, he begins to experience, we, we like watch it unfold slowly, this, this transformation of, of a hard heart. And it leads not to conformity, but to confession. Right? The, the word confession, or, or to confess, it just basically means to agree with. So what this second criminal is doing in his words, which we're going to unpack really quickly here in just a minute, is he's, he's confessing. He's agreeing with what's true about God, what's true about himself, and most importantly, what's true about Jesus. All right, look at his words again in uh, verse 40. It says, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? So this criminal all of a sudden begins to have an awareness, like this vivid awareness that there is something altogether different between, uh, between him and, and God. He has some sense of God's authority, some sense of God's holiness, some sense of uh, of his, his might and his power. And, and, and man, he doesn't know to use those words, right? This is happening real time in the moment. Right? This guy doesn't know all the theological terms. He's, not gonna, uh, he, he's probably not going to lead a Bible study on the incommunicable attributes of God. Right? But there's something happening in his heart. And he begins to see when there's a, a God that is worthy to be revered and feared. Right? He begins to have some, understand in some capacity that, that God is transcendent, higher than, far above, and that he and this other criminal have fallen very, very short of that standard. Right? Then he goes on in verse 41. It says, and we indeed justly, we are, we are suffering just, justly. Justly, I'll get it right in a minute. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And so first he, he confesses, he agrees, he acknowledges that, that God is transcendent, 
holy, even though, again, he, he doesn't understand those words, but he, he understands something. And here he's confessing or uh, acknowledging his own guilt and sin. He's hanging on a cross, condemned for, uh, Luke doesn't tell us what the crimes were, but, but Matthew and Mark tell us that these were thieves. So he's, he's hanging on a cross, condemned for, uh, for stealing, for being a thief, punishable by death in this culture. He's condemned for his evil deeds, and in a moment of clarity, he confesses his guilt, his sin. He acknowledges that, that he is deserving of punishment, and he's punished rightly because uh, of his sin. Right? In, in this moment, he's, it's a confession of his sinfulness in relation to a, a holy God. And even though his sin as a thief was you know, primarily uh, against others, ultimately, as all sin is, it's a sin against a holy God. And so he has an awareness of who God is. He has an awareness of, of who he is as a, a sinful human being. But then he also has an awareness of who Jesus is. Look at the second half of verse 41. It says, but this man, talking about Jesus, this man has done Nothing wrong. So whereas the criminal is, is acknowledging his sinfulness, his, uh, his crime deserving of punishment, he, he looks at Jesus hanging on the middle cross and all of a sudden he has an awareness. This man has done nothing wrong. Now, we don't know if he witnessed the trial that we talked about last week. We don't know the full extent of his knowledge of what Jesus did, some scholars suggest like there's, this may be the first time that these criminals have even laid eyes on Jesus. We don't know. We don't know their familiarity with who Jesus is, but we do know that, that in this moment, this criminal says, this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. The same thing that Pilate said, by the way. He's undeserving of death. And so here's what you've got. You've got this criminal who sees that, that God is holy, he sees it that he himself is not, and he sees that this Jesus is innocent. And in this moment of, of desperation, he does the only thing he knows to do, and he cries out to Jesus. Verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In a, in a moment of sort of spirit-inspired clarity, this criminal just throws himself fully on Jesus. He acknowledges his only hope, the only source of, of trust, right? places all his faith in the crucified Jesus. And what is Jesus' response? Look at verse 43. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly, that word truly, when Jesus says that, if you've got a King James or other versions say verily, right, the, the point is, is he's putting emphasis on what he's about to say. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What just happened? Right, I mean, like, let's just recap. Moments earlier, Again, according to Matthew and Mark, this criminal is 
reviling Jesus, hurling insults at Jesus. He's, he's joined sort of the, the mob mentality. And then the Spirit begins this work of like transformation. We're seeing it work out real time, in the moment. And all of a sudden, he, he, he goes from like, hur, or hurling insults, mocking Jesus, to all of a sudden throwing himself fully on Jesus. I mean, he, he was a, a thief. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And just, this guy has no, like, impressive track record of faithful obedience. Right? He's got no, uh, no track record of, of church attendance. Right? I'm, I'm guessing that this guy doesn't have many uh, Bible stories from the Old Testament memorized. Right? He... Uh, wasn't baptized, right? As we're going to do this morning, this guy wasn't baptized, never had a chance to be baptized. His hands and feet are nailed or tied to a cross. He has no opportunity to, to work, to earn this salvation. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? He, he just humbly Put all of his hope, all of his trust, all of his faith in Jesus. And that was enough. That was enough. I mean, you want to make some Baptists uncomfortable. There was no altar call. All right, there wasn't somebody up here singing 17 stanzas of Just As I Am to kind of woo him down the aisle. Right, there's nobody led him through the Romans road. I mean, you want to get real scandalous. This cat didn't even quote the sinner's prayer. He's like, Jesus, remember me. Because that's all he knew. That's all he knew. And according to Jesus, this man's faith was enough. It was enough. Because... Faith has always been the only thing that saved us. It's always been. It's, it's, not, it's not up to us to save ourselves. It's faith in Jesus that his perfect life in our place, his death on the cross, his ultimate resurrection from the grave, and believing in that, that it was sufficient to pay the price for all of your sin. Past, present, future. That's what saves us. It's, it's not faith. This is going to be scandalous. Isn't it? It's not faith plus church attendance. It's not faith plus knowledge. It's not faith plus some level of spiritual maturity. It's not faith plus baptism. Right? It's not faith plus anything that you are tempted to think will earn you a seat at the table. You can't earn a seat at the table. Jesus earned it for you. It's faith in Jesus that saves. And if you think that sounds absolutely absurd, uh, you're going to have to take that up with the Apostle Paul. Here's what he writes in chapter 2, verse 8. 
of his letter to the Ephesians. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what makes the gospel such good news to sinners like that criminal, sinners like you and me. Right? That, that, that you and I are not saved by anything that we have or have not done. And you, maybe the better news is we are not beyond saving because of anything that we have or have not done. We are all, and we're all deserving of death, but, but by grace, by grace, we're invited into a relationship with the God of the universe simply by faith, trusting, believing, throwing ourselves fully on Jesus' sufficient payment on the cross. The good news of the gospel is that God has graciously given us his son who lived a perfect life, who paid the penalty for your sin, my sin, fully on the cross in his death. And then he rose to life three days later, proving himself victorious over sin. The good news of the gospel is that God gave us his son to do all that, to accomplish all that, so that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, has faith in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. So to bring it back to the scene at the the cross, in many ways, the image of these, these criminals is one that we should lean into. We would do well to lean into it because this, this is us. This is us. We, we, we've all broken God's standard. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. We're deserving of death. We have nothing to offer. Because of the existence of sin, we will all physically die one day. And I read a study this week. One out of every one person dies at some point in their life. Some of you guys are like, really? Where'd you read that at? You got a source? <laughs> um, but here's my point. What, what matters is what comes after that. Because for the first criminal who reviled and mocked and insulted, the, the reality is for him, the moment that he breathed his last breath on the cross, he moved into an eternity of torment, separated from God and the Savior that he rejected. But the second criminal, the moment he closed his eyes in death, the moment he breathed his last breath on the cross, um, He opened them in paradise. That was Jesus' promise to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He opened his eyes in the presence 
of God. I mean, I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that, right, the, I think the Bible would even say that we don't know what that looks like, despite all these people that try to write books and tell you what it looks like. We don't know what that entails, but I know that the Bible says there's fullness of joy and presence forevermore. And that's what this second criminal opened his eyes to. Not because of anything he had done, not because of anything he had to offer, but because the man on the middle cross said he could come. That's what was available to him. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your trust in Jesus, here's what I want you to, to know. I just want you to be encouraged. I just want you to be encouraged to know that one day when you close your eyes, you breathe your last breath on this earth, like this is what awaits you. Paradise. The fullness of joy. Joy like you've never experienced. Whatever joy you've had on this earth will pale in comparison to what awaits you. And pleasures forevermore like, forever? Like, I know we throw that word around, but like, forever. Sounds like a movie, right? Forever. Like, that's what awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin and the hope of eternal life. And my hope is that not only would that encourage you, but that would spur you on to greater obedience, greater faithfulness, greater love, greater dependence all the days of your life. But if you're hearing you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never trusted in him, then what I want you to know is that that promise, like, you can't claim that yet. But it's in, like, you're invited to it. Right? The, the invitation has been extended to you. Right? The same invitation that Jesus extended to the criminal, today you'll be with me in paradise, that's extended to you this morning. And it won't come because of anything awesome that you do. It won't be, come because of uh, you getting your life cleaned up first and then coming to Jesus. It won't come by anything other than confessing your need for a Savior. Admitting your guilt, your sin before a holy God, and throwing yourself wholly and fully and totally and completely on the mercies of Jesus as the only sufficient payment for your sin. And you can do that. You can do that. Maybe like, what does that look like? I don't know. I would love to tell you about that. Would love to. You can find me after service this morning. We can have that conversation. We'd love nothing more than for you to know how you can hear the same words that the criminal heard, that today, the moment you close your eyes in death, that you can be ushered into paradise. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you haven't done, because of what Jesus did for you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you. We are grateful Grateful for the, the promise of the cross. Grateful for uh, your love and your grace and your mercy all on full display. 
And Father, I'm, I'm grateful for the good news that, that it is Jesus who earns us a position in paradise for eternity. It's not, it's not us. Lord, Lord, we confess, we agree that we bring nothing to the table. And so we're grateful for the promise of Jesus. So Father, for those that are here this morning that they have trusted in Jesus, they've, they've thrown themselves wholly and fully and totally on Him as the only hope they have of eternal life. Um, Lord, I pray they be strengthened, encouraged. I pray they be reminded of the, the joy, the pleasures that await them in an eternity with You. And I pray that would strengthen them into greater and greater obedience in the days, weeks, months, years, maybe decades ahead. And Father, if there's, if there's one here this morning that's never trusted in you, I, I pray that, that they would just see and know that you are, that you, you sent Jesus, a friend of sinners, to draw near. And that he loves them, that you love them. And that Jesus lived the perfect life they couldn't live. He died on the cross to pay the, the penalty for their sin. And as we'll celebrate next Sunday, he rose from the grave victorious, proving himself so stronger than sin and death and the grave. And I pray that they would place their trust in Jesus. So, Father, as we have this moment to just reflect and respond, I pray that you would bring uh, conviction where there needs to be conviction bring repentance, or there needs to, bring, needs to be repentance, I pray that you would open eyes to respond in faith, where there needs to be that type of response this morning. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.